began to cover last week, preparing the next generation. We're going to be in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 again today. We're going to read the entire chapter again. It's rich, it's deep, there's so much there. Um, and we will again encounter in 2 Timothy 3 the phrase, last days. Okay? So hear me say, for the umpteenth time, that nobody knows the day or the hour of the return of Jesus Christ, not even Jesus himself. He said, while he was on earth, only the Father knows. So, we're not going to waste our time on trying to have some precise calculation of when Jesus is coming, and we know the day, and we know the time of day, and we know everything that's going to happen before he comes and as he comes. We know a lot about that, but Jesus said nobody knows. So, if he said that, then that means we don't know, unless we're, we're going to say, well, Jesus, you're wrong. So we're not going to waste our time on trying to calculate those kind of things about the last days. Here's the focus that I choose, and here's the focus that I've been preaching to you, inviting you to choose as well. Um, these are the last days of my life. And, you know, it could be today, it could be 30 years from now, but these are the last days of my life. It could be today, it could be 30 years from now for each of you. But these are the last days of your life. So how about we live like these are the last days of our lives on earth. And what that would look like was that we live by faith in Jesus Christ. That our faith in Jesus Christ informs our values, informs our worldviews, informs the, the choices that we make and the criteria we use to make our choices. And that everything that we think and say and do brings glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ. Live like these are the last opportunities that we ever have to do that because they are. Tomorrow, we're never going to get today back. So these, in that respect, are our last days. A week ago, we focused on raising followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to focus on raising followers of Jesus Christ again today, preparing the next generation. And today's... Uh, a week ago, in preparing the next generation, we focused on saturating them with Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the person of God, is thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? So, saturating the next generation, those who come behind us in the faith, both our own biological children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and and those with whom we associate in church, at work, in the community, uh, whatever that looks like, saturating them with Scripture. Because only the Holy Bible is filled with the Spirit of God and in that sense made alive, just like we are. Okay? So let's read again 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Paul speaking to Timothy, and Holy Scripture speaking to us. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, wrath, rash, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. 
They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow, what a powerful passage. There's some, there's some stern, blunt language that Paul uses. Imagine that. Um, he states things in black and white terms. He states them plainly so you cannot misunderstand them unless you choose not to believe them. Wow. Um, so, saturate your children with Scripture. Saturate them with Scripture. Now, we've covered that. It's one thing to say it. And it's good to say it, but it's another thing to live it, okay? Model the message with your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Timothy's mother and grandmother not only taught the right message, they modeled the message. From 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, um, Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So, they modeled it to Timothy, didn't they? From infancy. What we say can be nullified by our actions. Children hear what they choose to hear, but they observe our conduct, do they not? What they look for is some consistency between what we profess and what we practice, what we say and what we do. Between what you say you believe and how you act. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was an outgoing guy and good public speaker. I watched him do that many, many times as a child. 
But when I became a follower of Jesus Christ in my early 20s, he was not a role model I could look to for living out the Christian faith. So I've always gravitated toward Christians who were older than me in years, who were walking the talk. When our children were young, we went to a church with a man named Lyle Jones. And he was ancient years old. I, I never knew exactly how old he was, but the dude was ancient. He was legally blind. He, he was only able to see light and dark shapes unless you were like really close to him, this close. And then he could make out a, a little bit of more details. He talked with a raspy voice. He was a greeter and stood out on the parking, stood out on the sidewalk by the parking lot when he was on duty. And his natural resting face was a grin. The dude was blind, man. I mean, I mean, you had to be, you know, within five, ten feet of him. Be, you know, I mean, his he could hear you coming. He he had hearing aids too. He, he'd hear you coming, but you'd have to get close before he saw the light dark shifting, you know. And so when he put his hand out to you, it wasn't always exactly right where it should be. But he always extended your hand, and he always had that grin on his face. The dude was happy. The guy was full of joy and bless, blessedness, you know. And he would stand there with his grin and greet every person that came by him and give them a bulletin and, and speak God's blessing over them on the Sunday mornings that he was a greeter. Lau was a retired missionary to the Native American tribes in the Four Corners area. He was a widower. His wife had gone on to heaven before him. Um, one of his regular prayer requests, okay, he, he's, he's legally blind, he's a widower, he's ancient years old, and one of his regular prayer requests was for a lady friend to marry and to be healed from the toe fungus so he could go and return to ministry on the res. He never lost that desire um, to be in ministry. With all the things he did lose physically in life, and he never lost his spirit. He never lost his, his faith in Christ. He never lost the joy um, that he had. One Sunday morning, we were both at the altar praying uh, during a worship service. It, it's Arizona in the summertime, so it's blazing hot outside. Uh, I was in the congregation, uh, not a pastor at the time. So I had flip-flops back at my chair, and I'd gone forward to the altar to pray, and uh, ended up kneeling there at the altar next to Lyle, and so I'm barefoot, you know, my, my shoes, my flip-flops are, are back at the chair, and, and he finishes praying about his stuff, and he looks over, and I'm right there next to him, you know, so he could see a few more details than he could if I was even two feet more distance, and he... And he says, and bless that young man praying here with no shoes on. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, that's like part of the family lore now. We, I mean, we laugh out loud every time we think about that. Um, what he, he wanted me to, to make the, the prayer list for a Tuesday morning men's prayer meeting. He wanted me to make it larger so that he could read it and take it home and pray over to home. So I, I made it success, successively larger over several stages 
to the point where only one word fit on a, on a eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and he and he still couldn't read it. But but he wanted to be able to read it and take it home. That's just how he was. The love of Jesus just oozed out of Lyle Jones. And in the passage in my Bible that I have in my pastor study here at church, in the passage in the book of Hebrews that describes the heroes of the faith, I've written some names down in the margin. And one of the names I've written down is Lyle Jones. He is a hero of the faith. He had lost so much. His wife, his sight, he had toe fungus he couldn't get victory over. Um, but he just loved Jesus, and it just oozed out of him all over everybody that came in contact with him. He is a hero of the faith for me. And he's been gone for decades now, but I can still follow him as he follows Christ because his actions matched his words about the truth of the Bible and faith in Jesus Christ. His walk matched his talk. So, I, I hope that you teach your children the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, it says you shall not give false testimony. But what happens when the doorbell rings and someone's collecting for a charity? Do you say to your kids, tell them I'm not available? Um, well, that would be a contradiction now, wouldn't it? It's not enough to saturate our kids with God's word. We have to live it out for them too. Go to the door and speak honestly and kindly to them. Um, once in a while, I have cult members come to my door. And I don't ever send anybody else to talk to them. I talk to them. They don't come in my house because we're not friends. They don't come in my house because we don't fellowship together based upon Jesus Christ, who really is. But I will share with them from memory some passages out of the book of Isaiah that talk about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in that context of talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Father, Savior, Holy Spirit, in that context, say that I, even I, am the Lord. There is none beside me. There is none before me, none after me. And so I speak truth into their lives. And I try to do it kindly, softly, and gently, but they don't come in my house ever because we don't fellowship together. They believe other stuff that's not only outside the Bible, it's directly contradictory to the Bible. What they believe from other sources and the Bible cannot be reconciled. And it wouldn't be loving of me to leave them in that state without giving them an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, meet people at the door. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just an example I came up with. But let our walk match our talk before those who come behind us like our children that we want to be followers of Jesus Christ like we were. Something else we need to do um, as we uh, prepare the next generation is expose them to other Christians. Timothy had faithful models to follow in his own family. But his own family, they exposed him to other Christians too. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, 
Paul speaking to Timothy, Holy Scripture speaking to us. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Paul had spiritually adopted Timothy and had become, in his walk of faith, Timothy's surrogate father. He made Timothy his apprentice. He took Timothy on two missionary journeys. And for 15 years, Timothy observed Paul's every move. If there was any phoniness or hypocrisy in Paul's life, Timothy would have seen it. In Antioch, Paul was run out of town. In Iconium, Paul was threatened with stoning. In Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. Timothy knew about Paul's convictions. Through all those experiences, Paul remained a man of, it says here in 2 Timothy 3, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Walking the talk. So here's the point. Timothy knew Paul intimately. Why? Because his mother allowed him to leave home and rub shoulders with other Christians. Listen to me, Grandpa and Grandma, Mom and Dad, be careful about holding on too long and too tight. Man, that's easier said than done, I know. Um, maybe God's will for your child includes a move. Are you supportive? Or do you resist? Eunice could only hang on to Timothy and keep him at home for so long. And then she had to let him go to continue becoming who God had created them to be. She provided the foundation. She taught him the scriptures. She modeled it in her own life. But when it was time to cut the cord, she released her son by exposing him to the godly influence of another Christian, Paul. The, the other thing that we have to do as we're preparing the next generation is we have to warn them about the world. There is black and white. There is good and bad. There is holiness and evil. Paul reminded Timothy, Holy Scripture reminds us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our, our children, those who come behind us as we prepare the next generation, they need to know that. They need to expect that. They need to have prayed it through, submitted their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and be ready to face it in His power when it comes. And we can prepare them for that. The temptations that my children and grandchildren face are worse than the ones I faced at the same age. The increased supply of disposable money, the availability of drugs and alcohol, the proliferation of multiple online temptations, and the liberalization of Scripture make it tough to be a Christian. Have you heard about the red-letter Christians? Most Bibles print the word of Jesus in red. 
Red-letter Christians reject any authority in the Bible except the things that Jesus said. Well, one of the things he said is, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. So, in the red letters where Jesus said that, he's, he's advocating for, he's blessing, he's continuing and fulfilling the law of the Old Testament. Yet, the red-letter Christians reject any authority in the Bible except the things Jesus said. Everything else for them is optional. Well, what, what do you mean? That includes the words of Moses, the words of David, the words of Jeremiah and all the prophets. It includes the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul. Their contributions are rejected, even though Paul writes, and Holy Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Spirit of God is in Holy Scripture the same way the Spirit of God is in humankind, in you and me. Where does the world come up with such crazy ideas? Well, uh, you may know that it's not anything new. Back in the Old Testament, in the Book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, we are told the story of Jeremiah the prophet and Jehoiakim, king of Judah. God told Jeremiah to write on a scroll his prophetic word, condemning the king for his sins. So Jeremiah wrote the prophecy, and Baruch read the prophecy to the people. Micaiah, the king's secretary, happened to be in, in the fellowship that day. He read the scroll to the king's court, and then the king himself listened to the scroll being read. Guess what the king did? He, he didn't lop off the heads of Jeremiah and Baruch, and he didn't even lose his temper. He took a knife and cut out the offending prophecies and threw them into the fire. Thomas Jefferson did the same thing in his work titled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Jefferson copied the parts of the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament. Jefferson copied the parts of the Gospels he liked. He omitted the sections that were, according to him, contrary to reason. That included all the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, turning water into wine, healing blind Bartimaeus, all of them. And it included the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. In the late 1990s, about 150 religious scholars did the same thing at an event known as the Jesus Seminar. They voted with colored beads on which parts to include. A red bead was a yes, a pink bead was a probably, a gray bead was maybe, and a black bead was absolutely not. Using this method of selection, they ruled out where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, because they said it was too exclusive. They ruled out the parable of the sheep and the goats because it was too judgmental. And they ruled out the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it was too outlandish to believe. So, preparing the next generation Paul wrote this letter to remind Timothy in the last days terrible times will come. Describing that, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
I'm going to read from verses 2 and 4. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. So anything in God's Word that doesn't make me feel good about myself, well, that's out. Anything that doesn't let me define how I find pleasure in this life, well, that's out. Anything that doesn't let me, in effect, be God, because I decide what's truth and what isn't, I don't receive it from God, that's out. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. We have a responsibility to warn the next generation about the dangers of the world. Maybe my concern is because things are getting worse. Or maybe I see things more clearly now. Or maybe I'm getting older and I want people to get off my lawn. My days are fewer and I'm concerned for what will happen to those that I love in my absence after I'm gone. There's a story, excuse me, there's a story about a church that was concerned for their pastor because they were tired of him sounding the alarm. Everything's not black and white, they said. Sin is a strong word for activities that some say are disputable. Call it something else, like error or mistake or um, a twist of nature. The old pastor took his board to the storage closet and reached for a bottle of cleaning fluid. The word poison was in bold letters on a yellow label. Then the pastor said, if your kids walk in, do you want them to read about this harmful chemical or about this poisonous chemical? How do you want them to handle it? What warning do you want them to have? Listen, do your best to warn the next generation. Alcoholism is not a disease. It's drunkenness. Abortion is not a, a viable option. It's murder. Sex outside of marriage is called an abomination. To believe anything less makes you a red-letter Christian. So, Saturate them with scripture. Model the message with your life. And warn them about the world. This, this is the, the analogy that I draw on, on us um, warning them about the world. Because the world is so quick to accuse a Christian of being judgmental if we disagree with anything that they do, which is so obviously contrary to scripture. And they're not saturated with the word yet. And they don't model the message with their life because they're up with throne. They decide what's good and evil. They decide what's sin and what's acceptable before God. They don't look to God, the, the guidance of his Holy Spirit and his Holy Word. They're doing all that for themselves. And we, so when we warn them in the world, this is the analogy that makes sense to me. Um, for um, the last 10 years, I've lived in areas that, that were primarily rural, where there were a lot of beef cattle raised. And so it's common 
to see cattle haulers, semis, you know, with those vents in the side, hauling cattle. Um, so, uh, it would never happen around here in Gooding that one would drive over the speed limit. But where I used to live in Nebraska, um, speed limit, speed limit. They all, I mean, they must have got paid by the load because they were all going well over the speed limit everywhere they went. They'd come through town 10, 12, 15 miles over the speed limit. You, uh, one time I had to turn left on a state highway and I had to go into the lane of oncoming traffic and there was no traffic coming, but I had to go in the lane of oncoming traffic not to get run over because I could read the guy's license plate in my rearview mirror. He was so close because I was slowing down to turn left and he couldn't have slowed down enough in time for me to slow down enough to not wreck into the bar ditch, missing the, the side road that I was taking. So anyway, imagine there's a cattle hauler coming down the road through the middle of town, 12 miles over the speed limit. And you're standing there on the sidewalk watching somebody who's waiting, who's preparing to cross the street. And they go to step off the sidewalk, off the curb, onto the street, directly in front of that oncoming cattle bar. Do you let them go and say, you know what, that's your choice. You know, God will bless you and everything will turn out okay. Be well and, and step right on out there. Boom. They get flattened, blown apart by a loaded semi going 12 miles over the speed limit. Is that love? Is that love? Or would the loving thing to do be to say, time out, maybe even grab a shirt and say, don't step out there. There's a semi coming. You're going to step right in front of it and get killed. Is, is that love? It's telling them that the choice that they're making is wrong. It's telling them that that choice that they're making will lead to their death. But you give them a chance to stop and reconsider and live. Is that love? Is the first one, let them step out there and get run over? Is that love? You've got to disagree with their life choices to do that. Or is the second one love? So, saturate them with scripture. Model the message with your life and warn them about the world. Listen, if we are modeling the love of Christ with our life, then we have a platform from which to share the truth of Christ. And the truth of Christ is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the truth of Christ is that the wages of sin are death. But the truth of Christ is that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, what do you think God thinks when he thinks of you? He loves you. If anybody ever is for you, Jesus Christ is for you. He went to the cross, shed his blood, gave his life that you could be forgiven, and you could be restored in the right relationship with your Father in heaven, and the rest of your life could be lived to bring him glory and honor and praise and to prepare you to be with him forever in heaven. There is a hell. There is a choice to be made. It is the loving thing to do in the right way that plead with them not to step off the curb, as it were. Praise God, preparing the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us.
enable us, Lord, to be occupied in preparing the next generation, that those who come behind us in our lives would be followers of Jesus Christ, and that we will have contributed to that and made that more likely and more possible by saturating them with Scripture, by modeling the message of Holy Scripture with our lives, and by warning them about the world. God, let it be said of us that we prepared the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week.